0: You are listening to the I Am In podcast produced by the Boise-Nampa Institute of Religion. We've asked members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to share how their lives have been blessed by living the gospel of Jesus Christ. To the Savior's request, come follow me. They have all responded. I am in. Stephen C. Smith grew up in Boise, Idaho, attended Bora High School, Boise Junior College, then graduated from BYU. He attended the University of Oregon Dental School in Portland, Oregon. Steve served for two years as a dentist in the Air Force in Great Falls, Montana, then opened his own practice in Boise. He worked on developing medical office buildings with Gary Hawkins, and in 1987 decided to sell his dental practice and work full-time in commercial development. Gary and Steve formed Hawkins Smith, developing over 4.6 million square feet of commercial properties in 11 states in 14 years. In the year 2000, Steve Smith became the sole owner of SCS Development. Steve has served many church callings, including institute teacher and several bishoprics. Steve and his wife Becky spent seven years on various church missions. They were called to serve a real estate mission in Moscow, Russia, developing chapels in the former Soviet Union, an area so large that it encompasses 13 time zones. He has served as a mission president in Siberia, Russia. They spent two years on a temple mission at the Nauvoo Temple and have also worked as ordinance workers in the Boise, Idaho, and Meridian, Idaho temples. It is our honor today to hear from Steve Smith. This is Michelle Burke, and you are listening to the IMN podcast.
1: Well, brothers and sisters, it's a pleasure to be here. I uh, had the opportunity to Worked with the uh, student ward earlier, when there was a student stake, and the high council, and did that after I returned from a mission, and it was one of the highlights of my life. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I'm gonna tell you right now what the conclusion of the talk is, and then you can sleep through the rest of it, if you want <laughs> The conclusion is, None of us know exactly what's in store for us in our life. If when I was your age, if you'd asked me what I would have become, what I would have done, I wouldn't have had any idea. And I used to tell my missionaries when we were mission presidents don't follow my guide because I uh, I went several different ways. Let me set that and I won't get too long. But this is a very, very wonderful time to be alive. It's a wonderful time to be a member of the church. What I like about this age is you can do anything you want to do. Now, in a lot of countries, that is not the case. In all of Europe, as far as I know, when you are 14, you take a test. And when you take that test, they put you in as you're a salesperson in a department store or you're a plumber helper. And you will stay in that the rest of your life. You uh, don't have the opportunity to go to college unless there's a lot of money in the family or unless you're extremely brilliant. That's what I love about America and, uh, and what an opportunity it is for each of you to figure out who you are and what you want to be and uh, particularly who you're going to marry forever, and gonna raise a family. I um, was really, really grateful to see Brother Edwards here. He dated my daughter a couple of times. <laughs> we were trying to encourage him along. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's great to be here, and the one thing I want you to know is that, again, things will happen in your life. There are no people who just go through life and everything is just perfect. You'll have some sorrows. You'll have some change of professions. You'll have some days where you're sick and you're not sure you're going to get better. And through that, you have to develop the strength to be able to move on. So what I'm going to do is give some examples in my life where if we're not for the gospel, I could have given up. The gospel is the thing which gives you a basis to be able to move from a catastrophe to another part of your life. I know I listened to uh, Brother Holland, who spoke at the uh, Roots Convention. I think everybody probably has seen that. He talks about three things that are most important. Number one is faith, and I would agree with them because the faith that we have, the understanding of Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Father in heaven, and the covenants that we make in the temple. Second is family, and how important it is that we put our family first in the things that we're doing, even if we're very, very busy in our profession, that we take time to do things with our kids and the last one is friends uh, we talked about Gary Hawkins and Gary Hawkins and I were friends from 12 years of age and to uh, we we're still friends still partners in a business and he's uh, been a true friend even when some calls came where I was called to be a mission president to go to Russia and things he was always very, very supportive, even though he is not what you'd consider an active member of the church. I've never heard Gary Hawkins tell a lie in all my life. So um, we're going to start this little scenario here, and uh, we'll try to leave plenty of time at the end for some questions. And maybe I'm going to get this to work. Adam? <laughs> Here we go. We got it. No. What yeah, was that? What I was I in there. I guess. Okay, Michelle, this is for you. Oh. <laughs> As I was growing up, I grew up on the bench over uh, near call uh, near Uh, Colister, uh and uh, we were on. Shoshone Street, which is over by Oberlin and Vista. I had a bishop whose name was Marion Collister. Probably the best bishop I've ever had because he really, really took care of us. We were building that building. Those days we built our own buildings. I remember I was helping to put the gym together. Not very well, but we were putting it together. My dad was there and we were pounding nails. Marion Collister was there. Marion Collister was a federal judge, and that's a great honor. One of the uh, the leaders in uh, in the state of Idaho. He uh, also became my state president. It's interesting if you ask me. Some sixty years later, what impressed you the most? And it was when the building got finished. There were a lot of people that were very good at music and wanted to have a pipe organ. And there were a lot of us that played a lot of basketball and sports, and we wanted to have a glass backboard. Now, neither one was allowed by the church, because they had their criteria. And uh, he had asked several times, and the answer was no. So one day he took off, he drove to Salt Lake City. He went to the presiding bishopric's office, which handles all the money for buildings and things. And they weren't too happy to see him, and so they left him sitting in a chair for about four hours. And he just sat there. So finally, at the, uh, toward the end of the day, one of the members of the presiding bishopric came out. He uh, sat down and explained the situation that uh, the saints had come up with extra money for him and that we really needed it. And he came back with um, a pipe organ and glass backboards. Before that, they are just metal backboards. So as I look over some 76 years of my life, This man, and it's Michelle's uh, father or grandfather. No, my dad. Your dad, I'm sorry. Yeah. I hate these generations. Now, I used to mow their lawn as a kid, and Michelle wasn't there. She was way younger, but uh, uh, he'd have me go from Shoshone Street over to their house on Hawaii and uh, mow their lawn. And uh, so I know the older sisters very well. Yeah, it was 57. You were born in 73, right? 72, yeah. Okay. Now, what this means is that all of us, all of the all of us will have some people that make a lot of difference in your life. I need to tell you about Marion. also, uh, I uh, graduated from seminary. You could do it in three years. And I... Uh, they didn't have AP classes in high school. And so I had two hours, two classes I had to take. And then I had a work permit where I worked at Albertson's. It was kind of like teaching you to get a job that you might want to get. So school has changed a lot. But I would take five girls to seminary over by Bora. It was Bora High, by the way. You can't can't tell me I from Boise High. Bora. And uh, I'd drop the five girls off and then I'd go out and go duck hunting. Now my mother would get up every morning and fix me breakfast, and I had my stuff in the trunk. And so I uh, I did a lot of this and never got caught. And probably because I, I talked to Marion earlier, and I said, you know, "I've never done anything wrong in my life. I want to do something wrong." And so anyway, we had a golden green ball in January, and she was dancing with the seminary teacher, who had never talked. My folks about it, and so she said, "Well, how's Steve doing in seminary?" He said, "He does fine when he's there. Me, when he's there, I get up every morning making breakfast." Well, he's been going duck hunting, and uh, so my older brother was there and found out that she knew and she was convinced. He was convinced I'd be grounded for twenty years, and that's normally what happens. Well, she was dancing with Marion Collister, and so she told him the story about me and how wayward I was, because I went to duck hunting, and uh, Marion Collister looked at my mother, whose name was Relia. I was the last child, I had way too many eyes on me, and he said to Relia, Relia, have you done anything wrong in your life? And that was the end of the conversation, I didn't get uh, grounded or anything. So. <laughs> Yesterday, I was in Missouri at the University of Missouri watching two of my grandchildren play soccer for BYU. And uh, with us, we were on a little plane, and with us was a girl who used to play, a granddaughter used to play soccer for BYU, but she had retired. And uh, so on the plane back, I says, Ellie, do you know what a slide rule is? I think that's when you're dating, and you're not interested in him anymore, so you slide him along to one of the other roommates. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I said, okay. And what's the difference between a straight slide rule and a round slide rule? Well, straight would mean you go straight to the next boy, around you go around all the roommates and date them all. <laughs> so to show you how things change, this right here is a slide rule. And when I went to school, I went to Boise Junior College at the time and then to BYU. Uh, This is what we did all our math with. There was no calculators, there were no computers. This is actually a very amazing machine. You can get it uh, true to about three decimal points. And you'd go into a class of calculus of 250 students and everybody would have, see that leather? They'd have it on their belts like like a gun. And the rich guys from California would have a round one because it was more accurate. You'd go four decimal places. But now you can buy for $4.90 probably. A calculator will do anything you want it to do. My uh, older brother was uh, 18 years older than myself, and so I didn't know him real well. But he was extremely bright and was the father of the... um, Father of the accounting program at uh, Boise, uh, at uh, BYU. Can you make this so it'll stay on for me, Adam? So I can see how late I am. <laughs> I think I turned it on, but I didn't stay. Um, he was so bright that he took the CPA test as a junior, just for practice, and he got in the top seven people in the United States. <laughs> So Stanford sent him and got him, a, he got a doctorate there, and then went to the University of Minnesota as head of the accounting department, but ended up at BYU, and BYU is known as one of the one or two accounting programs in the United States. So he he was really smart, he set me up for my first classes at Boise Junior College. I had calculus, chemistry, physics, an accounting class, English, and... Uh, I said, "Why am I taking all these?" It'll improve your mind. And I oh "Boy." So I started school, and the first six weeks I got mononucleosis, which in our day was called the kissing disease. Now I don't know how I got it because I hadn't been doing any kissing. <laughs> and uh, I was always short as a young man. I was about five foot two uh, when I went on my mission. I ended up growing about six inches on my mission, which is really rare. You'll see in some of these pictures that uh, it looks like I have long arms. The the coat ends up about right here, and the pants were the same. So a slide rule is what we all did our calculations with, and the world has changed dramatically. And uh, it will change again. When you're my age, I can't imagine. I can guarantee you that you'll have self-driving cars and probably self-driving planes. You know, Adam? That's not working that, so just use this. Right there, right there. So, um, this was during the Vietnam War. The Vietnam War was a war sponsored by the Russians and uh, This started my little feelings about Russia It started actually a couple years earlier in 1962 in 1962 um, Was a missile the Cuban Missile Crisis I Can remember i was the only one home. My dad came to me and said you just as well know this, you're old enough, that we may not see tomorrow. Uh, the Soviet Union has missiles on Cuba that are capable of reaching every city except Seattle. And uh, we're at a standstill between them. And if one starts shooting, all those missiles are going to come in. And because of Mount Home being so close, there's a good chance we won't be alive tomorrow. And uh, so I had a strong dislike for Russians even at that point. Well, luckily because of our president John F. Kennedy and uh, Khrushchev backing down, that was averted. But then the Vietnam War started and uh, contrary to like the Iraq War uh, and Iran and the Afghanistan War, we had 125,000 most that we've ever had there, but in Vietnam, we had 550,000. And we had the draft in those days. So when you're 18, you go in and have your physical, and I was 1A. All my friends got, had bad knees from football or flat feet. And they all got deferred, but I was 1A. In fact, it got so bad that you were only allowed one missionary per year from a war because they needed more people in the military. And so we had to borrow my mission from another ward, and not only that, they didn't have an MTC at the time, so it was a a two-and-a-half-year mission. Now, I had never been on an airplane before. Things, like I say, things change. And I flew to Dusseldorf and uh, learned the language, spent two-and-a-half years, and that changed my life. I just cannot tell you enough how important a mission is in a person's life. You know, back in junior high school, in the ninth grade, I wanted to play football. And again, I was about this high, 90 pounds. And so I went out, talked to the coach, and he said, you can't play football. He says, field big guys, they weigh 200 pounds. They're going to kill you. I said, but I'm really fast. He says, you are. But if they'll catch you, they'll kill you. <laughs> he says, go play tennis or track or something like that. So I remember, as a 16-year-old, going to South Junior High School, riding in front and sitting down on the curb and having a heart-to-heart talk with myself. And I said, Steve, you know, you're never going to be a jock. There's no way in the world. Now, Brother Edwards was a jock. Let's tell you, he played football and everybody, but I was never going to be that, And I uh, was never going to be the best guy on campus like Edwards was. So I was, uh, decided what I had to do is I had to do it with my mind. I had to get my mind to where I could be successful. And I, I go to that spot every once in a while, still there at South Junior High School, and sit down and say, that was one of the best times of my life. But Russia for me, I mean, Germany for me was unbelievable. Um, it was hard, I had never been out of the, I've been to Idaho and Utah, that's it. This was my mission president. So it was Valdo Benson. He was the brother of Ezra Taft Benson. So uh, if you look at the picture with his family, you'll see him and his wife, and then you'll see his, their brother, Ralph, went to Austria, and a gal over here on the right who was Rebecca and the younger sister, Jody. Well, I had the opportunity to live in the mission home for about six months, and I found some family things that I thought were so valuable. When I went on my mission, we were always quite poor. I can remember my dad taking me, not, not poor poor, just poor middle class. Um, my dad took me to a service station when I was 14 and said, Dad, I've got you a job. It doesn't pay anything for two weeks or two salaries, but then it's 50 cents an hour. And he says, from now on, you're on your own. You have to pay for your uh, car expenses. You don't have to pay board and room, but you have to from now on take it. And, uh, I resented that for a while, because I had friends who were playing football and doing other sports, and I was working after school every night. Sooner I'd seen Gary Hawkins worked at the Packout right next door on Vista, and I was at the Chevron there. And so every night we'd get together. sort back when we were 14 years of age and uh, did a lot of things together. But I had been raised where if a person had money, they were bad. Because we knew a lot of people that had a lot of money and they kind of got caught up in themselves. And uh, this man was a partner in Fashion Fabrics. But he, he had some money, but he spent it on good things. And so that changed my whole outlook on life. Before, I thought if I ever tried to do this, I, I would be in real trouble. So I loved them. In those days, you couldn't call. I never called my folks in two and a half years. The telephones were way too expensive. Um, I ended up marrying Rebecca, the daughter of the mission president. And that was the best decision I think I ever made in my life. And as I'll talk to you a little bit later, it wasn't my decision. It wasn't hers either. So Here we are getting married. So the way that happened, Uh, She was just a little sister. She was a junior in high school when she was in Germany, and uh, she was so excited they were going to Seattle, and she was going to be a senior. And I remember talking to her and saying, you know, it's not going to be as great as you think. You've been over here with a lot of mature people, and you're going to be far more mature than most seniors are. You've got to just take the GE test, GED test, and go to BYU. And... uh, she said, No, it's going to be the highlight of my life. I'm so excited because she wasn't allowed to date in uh, Germany just because we didn't want that problem uh, when they were leaving. And uh, so, anyway, uh, she came home and she had a miserable time. I came home six months later. So, I came home January of 67. They left in the summer of 66. It was really, really hard to make the transition. I can tell you, after all of these years and all the things that have happened, that was the hardest six months of my life. We, Valdo Benson was one who would just dedicate everything to what he was doing. And there wasn't anything other than what's right. You know, he never played in the gray areas. He was just straight down. We got another mission president who was a wonderful man. He was quite a bit older. He had been a counselor in the Salt Lake Temple Presidency for eight years. They were changing the presidencies, and I'm sure they both thought they were going to be the new president. And there weren't many temples, eight temples at that time. And, uh, you know, they just weren't ready for it. They were older. They were homesick. And uh, I was the only assistant. Usually what they do is they'll have one assistant for the old mission president, and immediately you'll call a new assistant, that will be from the new mission president. And this man was very, very spiritual, but they just couldn't bring themselves to go out and meet the missionaries. And so I had to take care of all the transfers, and you know how good that goes when they call up the mission president and said, you know, i we're making progress with these people in, in Omsk or wherever it is, please don't move me. And he said, well, I don't have anything to do with transfers. Brother Smith does all of that, and you know how well other elders accepted them. So I was so excited to come home and to be able to talk to President Benson about what happened after he left. Well, even after marrying his daughter, even after going fly fishing on Silver Creek, doing all kinds of things, he would never ever, under any circumstances, talk about it. even though his mission dropped 50% in baptisms, and the missionaries were having a hard time. He would not ever talk about it. I admire that in him. So I I came home, and um, I had been home one week at BYU, and a telephone rang. And in that telephone call, um, in German, President Benson says, Brother Smith, I want you to go up to Bielefeld, take the car up, and there's some problems up there, go take care of them, like in the old days. And I said, oh, President Benson, where are you? He said, I'm here in Provo, visiting my daughter and my other daughter, and I says, I've got to come and see you. And so he gave me the address, and I drove over. It was about nine o'clock at night. And... This is my version, which is completely different than my wife's version. (laughs) I mean, this is night and day. My version is, she opened this. This is These were old housings that were over where the Marriott Center is now. And the screen door, the green, and there she was. And I mean, I'm 76. I've had a lot of wonderful spiritual experiences, but nothing as direct as this was. And it was just, that's who you're going to marry. Uh, she's a senior in high school, and uh, I, I don't even remember who else was in the house. I'm sure I talked to everybody else, but that's the way. Well, I went home and I told my roommate. That's the only person I have ever said anything to until after about eight years. And I told him what happened. He says, "Well, you ought to write her a letter. And tell her, you know, you see, had a good time, and don't have to be mushy or anything." So I write this letter in January. And I was close to the school, so I went home at lunchtime every time trying to see if she responded. And a week went by, and two weeks went by, and a month went by, and two months went by. And then you start questioning your inspiration. And you say, you know, maybe you were just home and this was your first encounter with a young lady, so maybe you just kind of made that up. And so finally about April, time for conference, I get this call and she says, I'm coming to conference. Would you like to go to conference with me? Oh. Yeah, of course I would. And Anyway, she comes to BYU, and we have 350 missionaries that all want to date her. So she is booked months in advance with every single missionary. <laughs> and I call her up for a date and I'd say, well, can you go out Friday night? No, I'm sorry. I'm busy. Can you cancel it? No, I don't do that. Um, and it went on and on and on. And uh, finally, her roommates who were really on my side. And a lot of things happened. And finally, we got to spend some time together. And we got engaged. And we were married after I got accepted to dental school. Now, I was studying to be an accountant because I had two brothers that are accountants. And one of them was the father of the accounting program. So I didn't even think they taught anything besides accounting. And when I first came home in January, my neighbor was a dra- in charge of the drafts department. And he says, you, you shouldn't even worry about going to school because you're going to be drafted. We just got told we need 200,000 more draftees to go to Vietnam. And you won't make it. He says, you, your deferment starts after you've completed one semester. And he said, they'll pull you right out of school. And I said, well, you got to do What else can I do? And uh, So I started school, made it through the semester, and then got my deferment. So I was now 22. So I took another year of accounting, which made I was 23. And then the government said, there are no more deferments for students, no matter if you have kids, no matter whatever it is, unless you are in medical or dental school. And I said, well, I'm not sure I'd be the best accountant. I kind of bounce around too much. And so I uh, decided what I need to do was to get into dental school. Now, dental school is normally three years. I had one year before I was going to turn 24. In fact, I only had one semester. I had to be accepted for it. And uh, luckily, I had some pretty good grades in accounting, and I had to carry 28 hours a semester uh, to be able to get through, get everything done. I had to go talk to the counselor over uh, pre dent He says you're out of your mind. He says each of these have three-hour labs with them. And uh, I said, I'm really motivated because I don't want to go to Vietnam. (laughs) And uh, he said, I'll sign this, but I'm going to put a little note on it that I have advised you against it. Well, it worked. We uh, got through all that. We got accepted to the University of Oregon Dental School, which was my first choice. And uh, I always accused Becky of not wanting to get married until she knew I was accepted. (laughs) <laughs> That's probably true, and um, we got married in May, and uh, we started off at Oregon. So there's some pictures here of our first apartment right here, and uh, Ezra Cap Benson uh, was able to marry us, and he uh, had some stipulations for us. He says, "I want to report every single year in person from you to see how you're getting along." And he was looking at me, wasn't looking at her. And <laughs> so we. Um, we got married, went to dental school, spent four years in dental school. Um, we graduated, and I had two of my friends got killed in Vietnam that summer. So we started school, and uh, I uh, joined the Air Force. I, uh, I, I wasn't ever going to not, I wasn't going to Canada. I just knew a lot about the Vietnam War, and I didn't want to be part of that. But I joined the Air Force, and for four years I uh, served in the reserves and started out as a first lieutenant and goes to second lieutenant. So I went into the military with um, the rank of captain, and served two years in uh, Great Falls. And marvelous experience, great experience to come after you've done dental school and. Uh, This is our family along the way, Uh, we've had children all along the way, but uh, this is one when they were all teenagers, so this is the girl that Brother Edwards used to date all the time. (laughs) Anyway, um, on the other side you'll see my mission president with my youngest son up in Alaska fishing, so we did a lot of that and he was always a marvelous, marvelous man, never deviated uh, from anything. When we graduate from dental school, by the way, dental school, I'm trying to build a thing about how I felt about Russia during this time. And I didn't think much of them because of the missile crisis. I didn't think too much of them because of, uh, you know, what had happened in uh, Vietnam and all they were the ones supporting them. So the the sign at the entrance at Moundstream Air Force Base says, America's ace in the hole. So what happened when khrushchev and john f kennedy were debating and everybody's trying to say who's the most powerful and we have missiles that can hit every city except seattle we said well let me introduce you to our new intercontinental missiles which they didn't have and he showed them what we have in montana and we just barely put them in and these missiles were aimed at every single major city in russia and that's when khrushchev blinked uh, there I am practicing dentistry, and it was a marvelous experience for me. I, uh, I did more fishing and hunting in those two years than I have the rest of my life put together. So, But we, uh, we did a lot. Uh, we came home, we set up a practice, and uh, the day before I went in the Air Force, I was at my parents' house, and we were going to fly down to Texas. And all of a sudden, I got hit with pain and just put me flat on the ground. And I've never had pain like that. And we go to the hospital, and they tell me I have kidney stones. And so they gave me some pain pills, and
0: I hit it off for Texas and
1: saw the urologist, first of all. And he, uh, he does all the examinations, and then he comes to me and says, Are you a Mormon? This is in Texas, and I said, "Yeah, I am." Do you have any polygamy background? And I said, "Both sides." He said, "You are a textbook case." He said, "You have two tubes going from the kidneys to the bladder instead of one, and so you've had a reflux when you get a bladder infection. It goes up and it's killed a kidney. So you have one dead kidney; the other one seems to be fine. <coughs> but uh, you're going to be on antibiotics the rest of your life because of infections." So I was. I was on antibiotics for 15 years. I had a very good urologist here in town, and uh, he was a good friend. He called me one day and said, "You know, um, you need to come down and see me." So I came down to see him, and he told me, "We've well, we run the test, you're going to lose your other kidney." He says, "You'll be on dialysis the rest of your life. We we'll have to do surgery, in those days they cut the muscles in the back. And uh, he said, "If I were you, I'd sell your practice." and uh, try to figure out what you're going to do the rest of your life. So I was, we had a big practice, probably the second biggest in the state. And uh, there we were, everything I had worked for. And uh, we found two dentists to buy it. So I would sold it and I headed up to Seattle. I received a blessing prior to that from a Leon Johnson, who was our state president. Great man, wonderful man. And I went up to Seattle on Friday. They ran all the tests. Monday, they're going to do surgery and uh, take out the one, and we try to repair the other one. And I was looking forward to probably dialysis the rest of my life, and certainly wouldn't be practicing dentistry. Um, and end on Friday, they said, you know, and I had 20 years of X-rays I was carrying with me, and they said, you know, your one kidney is dead, but the other one is fine. I said, what about these X-rays? And they said, we can't explain it. Well, I never had a kidney infection after that. And I, like I say, I was on antibiotics all my life. I come home and I greet this Leon Johnson, who's a veterinarian and a wonderful man. He was living in our ward, and he says, So, how'd you do in Seattle? And I said, You give really good blessings. <laughs> and he says, Yeah, I thought you were going to be all right. And I said, You might want to have told me this before I sold my practice. <laughs> and he says, Oh, I have something else. I'm going to call you to be the bishop of this ward. <laughs> and I said, You got to be kidding me. I'm unemployed, and you can't have an unemployed bishop. He said, "Yeah, we can." I have a couple of teenagers that need a little bit of help, and you're the one to do it. So uh, I became bishop at the time, and uh, my kids were doing well. You know, brother Edwards was dating some of them, and we were pretty happy with what was going on. <laughs> uh, we uh, we decided that we'd keep the kids doing well in school, and that I would travel. And so I started. Um, traveling four days a week, and that we were doing projects in Tulsa and in Little Rock and uh, all around the United States, 11 different states. Uh, One we did here in Boise was, if you look over on this side over here, there were 67 homes here that were brought here during World War II, and their sewer systems had failed and their water system had failed, and so I went door to door like you do in the mission trails and put them all under option. Which, if you ask me to do it now, I'd laugh at you. But what you sometimes you don't you're so dumb you don't know any better, and so that worked out really well for us. <laughs> we bought that and put it together, and what it turned out to be is now this is Cabela's. It was Costco for many years, and one of our most successful projects we did, and that was one of the first ones we did in Boise. Uh, I was in charge of construction, and I remember. When we first started down here, we were talking to the uh, construction people and they said, what kind of bollards do you want to have? Bollards. yeah. Um, why don't you show me a couple of different ones and I'll tell you which ones I like. <laughs> I have no idea what a bollard was. But uh, you learn real quick with necessities. And we ended up getting it just right when Home Depot and uh, the Costcos and the big boxes, the staples and all these were coming into uh, to fashion. So we... Would follow many of them. Best Buy wanted us to build out in the Midwest. And so we we built in all these cities Tulsa and Little Rock and Albany. Uh, some of you might remember this theater complex that was uh, one that we built and uh, eventually sold. Um, here's some more in California and uh, Ammon, Eugene, Nampa, Logan. And so you know, we ended up building. Like they mentioned, about four point six million acres, um, a million feet of square, uh, square feet of shopping centers. Um, we had seventy seven employees, and things were going really well. We had seven hundred thousand square feet under construction. And I was no longer ahead of construction. We got some people who knew what they were doing. And we were traveling, watching all of these projects. And uh, we were on vacation in uh, Germany and uh, the Hilbigs, Elder Hilbig, who was a General Authority, was in, uh, in Frankfurt as an Area 70, and he was the attorney hired by the attorney to take care of the work in Eastern Europe and Central Europe. And they called us. We spent two weeks in Europe with some friends and. We were dirty, and I called up and said, "You know, we're tired and dirty. We're not going to come." He said, "Well, you got to come." He said, "I've taken the whole weekend off, and we're going up to a castle and all these things." And so we came. We had a great time in the castle, laughing all night. And but I was set up, and I uh, <laughs> went to church on the Fourth of July weekend that area, and all of these military people that are stationed in Frankfurt are. are strong, strong members of the church and they're in the military to protect the country. I I really love them. So it was a very, very patriotic uh, group. And right after, an elderly man came up to me and I thought he was a senior missionary, he wasn't wearing a badge, and he says, My name is Elder Hancock. Nice to meet you, Elder Hancock. I had no idea who he was. And he says, Can I talk to you for a few minutes? So, in Frankfurt, Germany, they have the stake center and then they have a long hallway that has all of the general authorities for the area for the central europe area and for the europe east so the europe east is the former soviet union <laughs> my friends and uh, by the way at the air force base you really really talked a lot about how bad russia was because your missiles are aimed at them and... so anyway i uh, I sat down with him and he talked to me a little bit about what I've done and pretty quick realized that he was sitting in the presidency, and right? that's pretty big of him thinking that he can sit in the presidency anytime time he wants to. Well, he was the area president, but he was a general authority. and after about 10 minutes, he says, Brother Smith, I'm calling you to serve in Moscow, Russia for a real estate mission, and I go, wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm here on vacation, and he said, I know you are. We need the help, and I said, "I, I you know, you got to talk to my wife." <laughs> and I was trying to buy time. So my thoughts at the time were: my father was here, saying, "This man is totally out of his mind." I got seventy-seven people at home, and we're building all these buildings—biggest year we've ever had. And my mother says, "You never turn down a calling." And so we went out, on was a beautiful day like this, and I know that my, my wife was cornered by his wife, and we walked right up to her, and Elvin Hancock said, your husband has just accepted a call to go to Russia, <laughs> to, Moscow, Russia to develop real estate. And she uh, said, sure, we'll do that. And that's, again, that's that Benson trait that uh, doesn't matter what you're doing, what's so we uh we ended up going to Russia for a year and a half, and uh, the main role was we had twenty two uh, young people who were supposed to be taught how to do real estate in a country where they never had uh, ownership of any kind of land. The title companies and the banks were all from Finland that we used and so anyway we ended up uh, spending a marvelous year and a half. And these are a couple of buildings we were able to do. This is uh, in Tomsk. And that would be a great temple site, be a great temple that's up on a hill. Problem is it's in central uh, Siberia. Siberia is kind of like everything east of the Rockies. Everything east of the Urals is um, Siberia, which is very, very cold. So this is what the former Soviet Union used to look like. But it also included all of Poland, and all of uh, part of Germany, the Czech Republic. So this is huge. Even today, it's huge. Thirteen times of going across it. And so we were stationed in Moscow, which is right here. But we were responsible for all of this. And uh, to, to build buildings and even find rentals. When we got there, everybody was on a Sunday only, so they were using an old music school. It could be 100 years old and uh, they didn't have a lease every weekend somebody would come in and and say uh, you know i own this place and they're not supposed to be doing this they'd kick us out and um, it was a marvelous year i've never worked so hard to try to build buildings to get the government to allow you to buy them but we uh, i always say we moved the wall about a quarter of an inch during that time (laughs) then we come home and we're home for a year and we get a call from Elder D.D.A. Now, if you know Elder D.D.A., he speaks about 12 languages, he's from Belgium. First thing he did, he talked to us in German, and both my wife and I speak German. She speaks it like a German, I speak it like a hayseed from Idaho. <laughs> and uh, he would then talk to us in Russian, and we couldn't respond back. Uh, so the mission we were assigned to was the Novosibirsk Sabirs mission, And this is the size of our mission. If you take this green here, that's the size of the United States in proportion. And you would drive, you take the Trans-Siberian Railroad, you would travel um, all night long. We went on the train 289 nights. And we were constantly, every six weeks, we'd travel the equivalent of from New York to Los Angeles and back and forth. So we, uh, we got to know the trains pretty well. Wonderful people. Um, we had a marvelous experience with them. Um, this was a picture of when we were set apart. You might recognize some of the people. <laughs> um, Elder Nelson set me apart as mission president. Do you recognize him? Who's that? <laughs> uh, Elder Hoopdorf. Elder Hoopdorf set my wife apart. He was there training to be an apostle by Elder Nelson. (coughs) Another picture is when uh, we were the first ones to have Elder Nelson come and visit anything in Siberia, and so he did a mission tour, and we spent uh, four days with him. Mission tour is done on these uh, World War II trains, and they're heated by a little coal pot that's uh, right in the center of it. Uh, Here you can see a picture. This is the geographic center of Russia. So there's Elder Neunschwander, and he was the area president, and an old couple that's with him. Here's um, the first night after El- Elder Nelson came, and my time's running out. I just want to tell you about this lady here. My first interview as a mission president, do, we would do temple recommends, and they could only go to the temple probably one time, the church would help them, but they had to go clear to Sweden at the time for temple. And so she came in. They always have an interview a uh, Temple Recommend. They've, 98% of everybody's received a Recommend as a current one. Uh, we could learn from them. That's a huge thing. So she did this wonderful interview. I had my assistant helping me. And when she gets all through, she says, so President, how do I get new garments? She says, I got seven pair when I went 10 years ago. And I smooth them out on the bed. And I only wear them on Sunday. You know, I said, well, don't we have them in Moscow? No. And I found this unsuitable. So I said, we're going to figure out what to do. But in the meantime, the mission tour, the whole mission is going to go to the temple. I'll pay your way but you away personally. She can't tell anybody. So she's about 85 at the time. And every time I go to home, she'd be sitting right there. And she'd give me a little wink. <laughs> anyway, she got her garments, they couldn't bring more home because they would stop them at the border and either take them or overtax them. So uh, We solved it by, I had a, one of my employees was working for us and we got 500 pair of garments, sent them to Ukraine and Ukraine sent them to us. And so we could go around to all the them. They didn't care what size they were, they just wanted to wear garments. And sweet, sweet thing. These are some pictures of Russia. Uh, after getting home, we were called to serve in the Nauvoo Temple. And this is a temple presidency. I was a counselor to Spencer Pondy, And uh, this is the plum on top of everything because it was the Nauvoo Temple is so special and we had a great experience. This is my wife right below us and uh, President Sister Pondy. She has stories to tell. She lived in Dresden when we and the, the English bombed the city. She was seven years old and was ended up in East Germany. And uh, Nauvoo was marvelous for us. We had all kinds of pageants. Uh, if you'll notice the center picture in one of the pageants, the British pageant, they had... This is my grandson, Hunter, and he was cast with Hannah and that was their baby they had and this is uh kimberly's youngest daughter Um, anyway if you look on the far right they did so well casting that they decided to do it for real and that's our first great grandson (laughs) Um, what i've done since then uh, i've done some real estate we've built some buildings with uh, brighton I don't date Turnbull for forty years, and extremely marvelous. Done some apartments, uh, some subdivisions, and um, we currently are working in the uh, Meridian Temple. We've worked in these two. Because I was in the presidency, I had the honor to be a sealer, which stays with you. So I'm a sealer, a sealer in the Meridian Temple, and after. Many years, this is what the posterity looks like here of the uh, the Smith family. That was last summer. Now that's all that matters to in the long run is how is the family doing and how faithful are we to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just want to bear you my testimony of the truthness of the gospel and how important it is to have that basis So when you have a 10 minute interview you'll know what the answer is. That 10 minutes changed our whole life. It didn't make any sense. I mean my partner told me I was crazy. My son-in-law would write me every three months and tell me how many million dollars I was losing by not being with projects and uh, that that 10 minute decision affected us going to Russia. We fell in love with the people. It affected us being able to be a mission president and affected us being able to be in a mission presidency in Nauvoo. So, times will come and you'll be called to certain callings which you think you can't do and you can. Your life may change. You may not be able to be a dentist the rest of your life, even though you spent 16 years getting there Um, but if you keep your faith if you keep your knowledge of the gospel your testimony things will work out I can't explain to you how they work out but they do and you can pick up miracles all along the way okay you want about this picture In 3rd Nephi, we read about Jesus Christ visiting the American continent. And after he gets through visiting them, he tells them that he has other sheep, which are not of his flock. They're not from the people in Jerusalem. They are the lost ten tribes. And so this was a painting painted by a very famous Russian painter in 1903, the same year that Francis Lyman, an apostle, dedicated Russia for the preaching of the gospel. And um, That is a resurrected christ that's the only picture i know of that has a resurrected christ in a land other than palestine other than mormon art and this is in the russian museum in st petersburg this is their santa Santa claus so that's the christian part of it and his niece who is with him uh, if you can't tell this is a daughter that's hurt with the big russian hood she has her hands up in the sign of the cross and the two patriarchs, they have the old patriarch, and then they had a new one, they had a division of their church. And up in the corner is St. Andrew, who was one of the apostles that uh, brought Christian beliefs to, uh, to the Russians. And I think if you look over here, you'll see the wife of the czar and the people with her and how distressed she is. The poverty that's there. And that's Lake Baikal. Now, I don't think this, this artist... know the buildings are 1900s I think you had a dream that Jesus Christ came and taught the people there's all kinds of legends around this area of Jesus Christ coming it happened to be the most fruitful part of our mission and we uh, we just had a wonderful time there well thank you so much remember that the thing which holds everything together is your testimonies and your understanding the covenants that you made in the temple, that you give it all. And the Lord will take care of you. Can I say that in the name of Jesus Christ? Amen. Amen. amen.